0: Now it's time to announce Elijah O'Neill. And uh, Elijah, your biography, I was given your biography before. Uh, or this was not, a little too soon, huh? <laughs> no, no, come on up. Come on up. <laughs> come on up. I was given uh, this paragraph to read, but you've done so much. Uh, so uh, I'm going to just announce that you're here from the American Journey Experience. Go online and check out Elijah's uh, little profile here because... You, you've lived a lot in a short amount of time here. So I'm going to give the rest of the time over to you. So thank you. Thank you. Hey. Oh, there you go. Was <laughs> supposed to go dark? Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought we forgot to leave the light.
1: I'm about to show a picture that some audiences uh, would find offensive, and so I would like parents to show discretion, and I will pause for a few seconds.
0: The picture on display is that of a World War II concentration camp.
1: What do you see? When I look at this picture, I see tired, humiliated, and emaciated children of God who don't know if God is there anymore. What do you see? In 1940, there were millions of deluded people in Nazi Germany who could look at this picture and say, Progress. I see progress. So tell me, Old Town, how can a society look at the same picture and have the same set of facts, eat the same bread, bleed the same blood, And come to such a radically different conclusion. Because it is not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. I prayed for a really long time before it was time to give this sermon. And I was praying, asking God what he wanted me to tell you in this moment, following Mike's sermon. And the conviction that overcame me was, give them God's perspective. Why? Because if you don't see with the eyes of God and work with his hands and walk with his feet, if your worldview isn't from the perspective of God's view you won't finish the race you won't keep the faith you will wander through life oblivious to the signs and to the times and when hard times arrive and uncertainty plagues you you will see through the per- you'll see through the perspective of your temporal mind instead of through the eyes of the eternal God. Eyes of an eternal God that makes meaning of the pain and makes purpose out of circumstance. My colleague Michael Noriega this morning preached a message concerning the state of our nation. And Mike spoke of how we are a country floundering in the darkness looking for truth. Because we abandon the only standard reality can actually rely on. And that standard is the word of God. He also outlined how there is a biblical precedence for our nation to be reconciled to God through repentance. And he showed how King Josiah brought forth a revival in Israel through adhering to that lost word. Mike ended his message with a call to action, calling upon each and every one of you to stand up and save our country. He said, echoing the sentiments of revolutionary patriot Joseph Warren that our country is in danger, but not to be despaired of. Our enemies are numerous and powerful, but we have many friends determined to be free, and heaven and earth will aid in our resolution. On you depend the fortunes of America. You are to decide the important question on which rests the happiness and the liberty of millions yet unborn. Act worthy of yourselves. Act worthy. Act worthy because the question of a free, God-fearing republic rests on the choice that Christians in this nation will make. Will we save this country our forefathers sacrificed lives, fortunes, and sacred honor to sustain, or will we watch it die in a state where their children chose apathy over eternal vigilance? Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. You are strong in the strength that God supplies, which is the power of his word. And we see this in Romans 1.16. It says, for I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So the only question I have for you, church, is do you believe? Do you believe the words in this book hold a sacred text that harness the power of the deity himself? Do you believe that the darkness of this world trembles at its recitation? Do you believe the gospel is eternally powerful and carries with it the power to change eternities at its utterance? If you answered yes, then you are who our country has waited for. And to equip you for that battle ahead, you must gain the godly perspective on life and its varying array of situations it will inevitably put you in. Living in constant recognition of the Spirit. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see, church, what the scripture is telling us is that the only way you will know God's will for your life is by submitting your interpretations of what you see at the feet of God and coming to your own conclusions and not coming to your own conclusions, but submit those conclusions, to a God who sees all, knows all, and through him, all came into being. And so I wrestled with myself writing this lesson. I thought, in my limited time, what are some of the most important perspectives of God we can discover together tonight? And I came to four items. For my note takers, I want to give the title of each perspective that I'll teach on now. The four perspectives of God, those things will be our country, our suffering, our duty, and our children. Our country, our suffering, our duty, and our children. First perspective our country is worth saving. Josiah knew Israel was worth saving because it was a nation built on the promises of God to his forefathers. And we are worth saving for the very same reason. To give you a little bit of background on myself, um, I used to work in the Texas House of Representatives during the 86th and 87th legislative sessions. And while I was there, I would ask representatives and senators and lobbyists the same basic question. And that question was, what do you think makes America exceptional? And I received a range of extremely disappointing answers. Answers like, well, Elijah, what makes America exceptional is the fact that we have the most powerful military on the face of the planet. Or... What makes us exceptional is the fact that we are leaders in medical innovation and invention. Or we have the most robust economy this world has ever seen. And we would hear common dictums like, because we have freedom and liberty for all. And while all of those things are true, while all of those things are good, that is not what makes America exceptional. It never has, and it never will. You see, what made America exceptional was the fact that we understood a promise, and that promise hid in the collective soul of our nation, and that promise starts like this. You've probably heard it before, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. So you see what makes America great What makes America exceptional among the nations is the fact that we understood that all of our freedom, all of our liberty, and all of our blessings flow from God. And so it doesn't matter what law is passed by Congress or what order is signed by the president or what opinion is rendered by the Supreme Court because we believe that there's a supreme being who holds within his hand the destiny of all nations. And the destiny of every single person in this room. And it is from him that all blessings flowed. And it was with that fundamental acknowledgement. That we unleashed the individual genius of man. To a greater extent than had ever been done before. Which gave us freedom. And liberty. And blessings. And a robust economy. And the most powerful military. Because when we acknowledge that we were a government under God. That is the derivative of such an acknowledgement. And it is in that we can have joy. And it is in that we can be, as what Reagan said, happy warriors. But how can we be happy? Our nation faces serious existential problems that have caused immense damage. We have desecrated marriage, confused binary gender options. We ran up a national debt that is stolen from five generations unborn and have cheapened the value of life by exterminating over 67 million babies, the most innocent population on the planet, I might add, in the womb. In the face of all of these things, We can be happy because joy from God is the culmination of two understandings. First, that whatever happens on earth, God reigns in omnipotence over all. And whatever powers of this world that might be, they have already submitted to the Son who sits at his right hand. And the second understanding is after our fighting is over, there will come a day when there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. And we will one day take that final leap into eternity with the author of life and the conqueror of death. The second perspective is human suffering. As humans, we are naturally averse to suffering. Our bodies don't want it. Our minds try not to think about it. However, it's promised to happen. We see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, it reminds us that we are destined for trials. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. We don't have a choice to choose whether if we are going to suffer or not. Our choice is whether if we are going to go through it with God or go through it ourselves. Suffering teaches us the difference between the important and the transient. It prepares us for heaven by teaching us how unfulfilling this life here on earth is and helps us develop an eternal perspective. Put simply, suffering makes us homesick for heaven. Some may scream that this is an evil thing for God to do and that this isn't fair. But remember, suffering is not just something that happens. It's something you walk away from. You will never be the same. Throughout the scripture, the function of suffering is not to bring meaningless pain, but to produce within you opportunities to exercise and cultivate the virtue that God demands from us all. You will never know how to best love until someone breaks your heart. You will never truly appreciate the feeling of plenty until a season of famine. God knew he would be accused of suffering found in this world. And to prove his love, he chose not to avoid suffering, but to join us in the promise of trials by dying on the cross and taking on the guilt of sin and shame for the world. Finally, you will never become an agent of change God has called you to be until you suffer. I'm going to say something that is going to sound like heresy. And I have already cleared this with the pastor in the back. So before you start throwing eggs, listen to this carefully. And see what God might reveal to you in this moment. Jesus was not born perfect. He was born sinless. Hebrews 2.10 confirms this. By saying "In in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists. Should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus ascertained perfection through the things he suffered because after he denied communion with God in exchange for the flesh of man, he had to suffer to bring into submission the flesh of man. And to suffer to bring into submission the carnal desire of the body that he had then chose to demote himself to. Which then fulfilled the prophecy of him being the propitiation for the sins of man. So tell me this church. If a morally perfect being had to undergo suffering to perfect himself in order to be the pioneer for all of our salvation, how much more so do us sinful, evil creatures who deserve nothing but hellfire and damnation, how much more so do we deserve and need suffering? Suffering prepares us for the calling that God has on our life. And because he knew the world was full of it, he would not dissuade himself from it, but embrace it and cause himself to be the example that we will all need. Easier said than done, I know and sometimes the suffering will break us as it did Jesus but that is right where he wants you because when you feel empty is the only time he can fill you romans 8:18 8, says for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later a story I have of working in the legislature was a young uh, woman approached me and and she told me that she wanted to pass a particular piece of legislation that I personally saw and deemed to be an infringement on on individual rights and individual liberties and I ended up putting a no vote recommendation for that bill for my representative. And eventually she came back and and saw that. And I gave her my reasons as to why this was not a bill that we could support. Because although it had good intentions, the effects on everyone else who would be innocent in the situation abrogated constitutional duties. And she looked at me and burst into tears. And she said, there was a drunk driver who was able to use a particular loophole in the law that allowed him to get away with killing my son. And she has spent the last six years going to the legislature every year trying to pass that bill. Because she wanted to close that loophole. I have thought about her every day. Every week. Because she is suffering. And she's looking to do something to redeem the time. But regardless of whatever you are going through in your life. And I know there are some messed up stories in this room. Nothing will be better than the glory that will be revealed in you and to you if you remain faithful and you adopt not your own perspective on your suffering, but his. The third perspective is our duty. A few weeks ago, I was hosting a class at the American Journey Experience Museum, and and partway through the class, an attendee explained how grateful she was for our effort in preserving and fighting for our American history. However, she said, I don't see the point. Our country seems lost. What is the point of fighting? Why go on when all seems helpless? Why try when the deck is stacked? And this is a sentiment held by many in the church today. And this is a sentiment that I'm sure many of you in this room hold. This is one of the greatest lives of the devil. And I myself many times have fallen for this until God humiliated my perspective. With his own. There was a man named John Wise. He was a a preacher by profession, graduating from Harvard University, which was a seminary at the time, and he was the leader of a local congregational parish. He had staunch views against how the crown was treating the colonies in the New World, and contemporary to him was a name that would live in infamy. His name was Edmund Andros. Andros was named commander of all armies of the Bermuda forces. He was named that by King Charles II. And when that happened, that made him the most powerful man in this new world. When King Charles died, William and Mary took the throne. And they gave him even more power. Naming naming him governor of the New England colonies. Giving him sole authority over every single colony north of Pennsylvania. Andros capitalized on his new power and went to every colonial legislature and started to crush their individual seals, destroyed their individual charters, and then he combined them all into one monolith. And that monolith would be called the Dominion of New England. He eventually was upset and very frustrated with the freedom that the colonialists were given. And so he began to impose incredible taxes against the people. He seized their religious liberty and he enforced tariffs which started to destroy the colonial economy. And he implemented religious liberty restrictions on the colonial Puritans by even forcing for them to use their church against other religions and denominations that they did not approve of. John Wise was a witness to this harassment and persecution and the false imprisonment of fellow ministers and friends. And with all the odds stacked against him, he chose bravery and truth regardless of whatever it cost him. He stood as an inspiration to the colonials and a thorn in the side of Andros when he spoke out against tyranny, accusing him of foregoing his fundamental duty prescribed in Romans 13. He admonished the people by reminding them that the biblical prescription of government is to subdue the lawless and to punish evil. But tell me, church, what happens when the very mechanism to institute justice over the land becomes the very mechanism by which injustice is promoted? His answer was that you stand and you continue to stand until you cannot stand any longer. After speaking out against Andros and trying to subvert his rule by refusing to pay taxes to his corrupt government, he was imprisoned for sedition and lost everything. After years had passed, he was released from prison. Andros was eventually disposed as a ruler and brought back to New England. To England, I should say. John Wise, towards the end of his life, wrote a book called A Vindication of the New England Churches and wrote about the principles of popular sovereignty and government under God. John Wise never got to see the freedom he fought for and never experienced the government under God for which he dreamed, yearned, and fought. But nearly 50 years after his death, the Sons of Liberty found his writings and reprinted them. And that book was found and read by none other than our Thomas Jefferson. And on the basis of that book, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. It was never Wise's job to secure the blessings of liberty for which he so diligently fought. His job was to be righteous at the cost of his own life, fortune, and sacred honor. The duty was his but the results were always and are always God's anything expended or sacrificed in the cause of righteousness is never wasted and when you speak truth you speak the very nature of God himself and the word his word shall never return void The truth of the matter is, fellow patriots, is I don't know if the great American experiment will continue into the next century or it will be ushered into the 1,000 years of darkness that Reagan spoke of early. But it's irrelevant. Because if we have, in fact, arrived at liberty's last hour, let us not flag or fold, but stand at our battle stations, having been recorded as having done the duty of God's people. And if we emerge victorious and we send our children into that 22nd century, secured in the blessings that we had for ourselves, then let us reflect, let them reflect on us in pride and take up that same torch of freedom from that point at which God called each and every one of us home. The fourth and final perspective I must share is about your children. Today, kids mature much slower. Kids born in the Western world the last 50 years have had privileges and technology afforded to them that all of human history would not have been able to fathom. This has allowed them to live in relative luxury And at a time of unprecedented peace. And this is made for prosperous times. But without struggle. Has been allowed to produce weak men. Furthermore. Parents have failed to pass on the scripture to their kids. And the importance of guidance in their lives. Because of this. Each preceding generation becomes more and more unfamiliar with the God of our forefathers and the purpose of this life. And the purpose of their lives. Train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. But tell me, what is the purpose of children? Behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. Your children are the arrows in the quiver of a warrior. And their purpose is to one day stand at the gate of their enemies with boldness. And my question to you, old town, is have you equipped your children to stand at that gate? Matthew 16:18 uses the same imagery with reference to the fortification of our enemies. It says, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You see, this scripture is not saying hell is attacking us. This verse is stating that the kingdom of God is waging an offensive war against the fortifications of hell itself. And in that war, hell shall not prevail. Have you equipped your children to stand at that gate? Are they prepared for that war? And by God's grace, the answer is and will be yes. That is why the American Journey experience exists. We want to help win the culture war, not only in our society, but at the dinner table. Because to have a God-fearing nation, it starts with a God-fearing home. Each year, Mike and I have the pleasure of bringing so many people, thousands of people, through our museum to various programs that we host, like the Family A seminar in the Summer Institute. That's for college students and the family seminar for various families that we have come from around the country to learn of the golden thread of history which was God's providence and to learn his perspective on what is happening in America. Teamed up with Wall Builders, the American Journey Experience is fighting the culture by preserving the heritage to remind Americans of their God In his faithfulness to this nation. I believe it's Joshua chapter 4 in which the Israelites are walking past the Jordan River. Then God stops Moses, or Joshua rather, I should say. God stops Joshua and he says, I want you to build a monument. And they asked, they're like, why, why do you want us to build this monument here? And he says, because one day your children will walk by. And I want you to tell them what the Lord your God did for you here. Why? Because he knew how forgetful generations of the past were. He knew how forgetful we were of God's goodness and God's grace. And over and over and over again, even with those monuments... The children of Israel forgot. That's why we had the cycle of judges. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, so on and so forth. He constantly had to raise up a judge to bring Israel back after they had forgotten his goodness. But why did they forget his goodness? Because the judges brought good times and the parents did not pass on the times that were difficult and the suffering that they had to endure. And when those children forgot the goodness of the Lord, they fell right back into their evil, licentious ways. The American journey experience is designed to be that monument. That is why we spend so much time, so much money, and so much effort in preserving these things so that Americans can come through the museum and see what the Lord, their God, has done for them. Because we are in the midst of forgetting. And once we pass a certain point, there is no return. I'm not shy to admit it, but it is very expensive to do this. And we can't do it without generous people like you. If you would like to contribute to our work and have the peace of mind, That every single dollar that you gave us goes to funding and bringing back God into our culture. You can learn more and choose to donate if you would like to by following the QR code on the screen. I hope that this lesson on perspective was a blessing to you. And I hope that you wrote notes that you recall and that you reflect on it in times that are difficult. Do not conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and see and approve the perfect and pleasing will of God. If you do not change your perspective, if you do not see with the eyes of God, you will not know his perfect will. If you do not work with his hands and walk with his feet, you won't understand what you're fighting for. When it comes to the mission, you are either driven by the success of it or you will be driven by the cost of it. And when the cost becomes too great, you'll stop, forgetting what the price of victory would be and what you would gain should you be victorious. As the worship team uh, approaches, I would like to I'll take a moment and bow in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the fact that the American Journey experience was able to come to Old Town and, and preach your word, Father. That I pray that through the sermons of, of Mike and myself this morning that people leave empowered, that they leave encouraged, that they leave inspired. I pray that everything that they learned today, that it did not fall on deaf ears, but it would be written on their hearts. And that when times of trouble and when times of adversity come, that they refer back to that writing. And they choose you. And that everything that they see, everything they feel, everything that they touch, would be submitted to your throne through your perspective. So that they can know your will and be approved. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this church. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Elijah, that was wonderful. Thank you for the encouragement and uh, also the hope. You know, there's always hope in God's story, isn't there? Uh, It's amazing. Uh, Paul said, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. And so I want to commission you to use your liberty in this country that God has given us, and especially your liberty in Christ, not to satisfy the flesh, but to serve one another in love. So may God bless you, may He keep you, may He give you His peace, and may He be gracious to you. Amen.